Hi, I'm Scott Carey, Editor-in-Chief at LeadDev, where we help software engineers become more effective technical leaders. The tech industry is going through some major changes right now, and the skills that engineering leaders need to navigate this shift will be fundamentally different to those that you've mastered over the last decade. LeadDev is here to help you identify emerging best practices and keep up with the pace of work in a world where you're going to have smaller teams and fewer resources to throw at problems. Our carefully curated conferences in Europe and the United States support engineering leaders at all levels of seniority, helping them adapt to the new normal, sharpen their leadership and management skills, and be more impactful in their roles. Join us in Berlin on the 4th, 5th, and 6th of December to supercharge your career and improve the velocity of your teams as we take over the Estrel Congress Center for three days of world-class talks, practical learning, and lots of opportunities to meet other engineering leaders and troubleshoot your biggest challenges. On the 4th and 5th, we'll be hosting Lead Dev Berlin, which helps engineering managers learn from the best in the business. And then on December 6th, Leading Edge Berlin will bring together senior engineering managers for a day of practical, hands-on learning and networking. Visit leaddev.com for more information and tickets are available now. Last year was a sellout, so get them before they're too late and I'll see you there in December. Hey, everyone. Welcome in. Uh, we are back on Dev Interrupted. I'm your co-host, Connor Bronson. And today we're joined by Scott Carey, Editor-in-Chief at Lead Dev. Scott, great to have you with us. Uh, nice to be here, Connor. Thanks for having me. You're joining us from the UK, right? That's right. Yeah, I am in a very gray London at the moment, but we have just come off a very vicious heat wave. So I'm very much enjoying the uh, respite over here. I think I'm, I'm in the same boat. And as Lead Dev's Editor-in-Chief, I know you have an opportunity to travel around the world to meet with thousands of engineers, learn about their content, and hopefully escape those heat waves sometimes. I actually first met you uh, when Devon Raptor brought our podcast to Lead Dev New York to record episodes with some of the amazing speakers you had on site. And we're really excited to be joining you again, this time at Lead Dev West Coast in San Francisco, October 16th and 17th. Little pitch, there's a list of mile long of great speakers that we can't wait to meet. If you haven't already registered, especially if you're in the Bay Area, you should definitely do it. This, this event is not one you want to miss. We'll definitely include a link in the show notes for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can meet up with me and the rest of the Devon Rockford crew. And uh, yeah, go check it out after this episode or, or pause right now and go and register. Scott, given that you have so much access to engineers around the world and engineering leaders, the work you do to plan and program these conferences on different continents, you have your finger on the pulse of the engineering community. And in particular, I want to talk about an article you wrote in July titled, Where Are All the Laid-Off Software Engineers Going? It really caught my attention, and I think it's an important conversation because it's a confusing time right now in recruitment, particularly in tech, uh, as there's these disparate views around what's actually happening and, and how strong is the market. But before we dive into that, I, I know we're, we're saying this term lead dev, and I, a lot of our audience I know know who you are, but I, I want to make sure that anyone who isn't familiar knows a bit about lead dev and its mission. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, sure. So we're a content and conference company based here in the UK. A lot of people don't know that because, as you said, we operate conferences all around the world, two in the US, uh, one in Berlin, and then one here in London at the moment. Yeah, we, we have a quite a simple mission. Our mission is to help software engineering managers get better at leading their teams and delivering software. So really, we when this company was started a few years back, it was really at that time when 
engineering management as an actual kind of discipline really started to emerge and people started to apply kind of broader leadership skills and frameworks to uh, software engineering. And we really saw an opportunity to help engineers kind of come together and learn those skills and put them into practice. So that's what we've been doing. We do it through our conferences, but also we have a big library of online content So written content from practitioners and also from journalists covering kind of the really hot topics. And then we also have a regular series of webinars covering kind of the biggest challenges that that folks are facing all the way from senior engineering managers down to staff plus. And that's definitely a mission that resonates with us, obviously. You know, we're a show that's all about how to improve as an engineering leader, how to learn from others. And I've seen lead devs role in shaping the narrative of what's happening in the software industry And in particular, as you point out, in shaping the growth of engineering leadership, which is something that, uh, even though we don't think about it this way, is is still fairly nascent as an industry. It is. And like we, yeah, we absolutely hope that we, you know, can help in that regard. That's very much our mission. But like we, it's been a really interesting couple of years because, you know, we're coming out of this market where things were really great for a really great time. You know, it was growth, 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 and people had all these resources to to kind of throw at the problem. And so uh, it was all about best practice and learning from the biggest and the best companies and all these kind of engineering management influencers started emerging and writing great books on the topic. Your Will Larson's, your Camille Fournier's, like it started to become really clear like how to do this at kind of the best level that you can and what we're starting to see now is is a slight shift and maybe a a whole new way of thinking about that so yeah as you know this industry it never it never lets you rest it never lets you sit on your laurels so that that does bring something up to me which i think is a an interesting segue into this conversation around job transitions and growth you have a background as a journalist how did you find your way into this mission Yeah. And like, you know, my role here is still like brings to bear a lot of those journalism skills, but I now just have a lot more variety to my role because we're programming events. We are running webinars. We're doing sponsored content. We're still publishing loads of written content, which is, you know, my background. That's my, that's my area of expertise. But yeah, really like I got into journalism not really knowing what I wanted to do. I just knew that I kind of wanted to write for a living and I'm pretty nosy. I like talking to people. I particularly like hearing about people's jobs. And at the time, like this was about 10 years ago, like tech was just the hot thing. It just, to me as a journalist getting into the world of business journalism, like looking for an industry to cover, like it just seemed obvious to me that I wanted to cover technology. And it wasn't that easy to get my foot in the door, but luckily I had a friend at the time who was working for Business Insider and I just got talking to him and I said, is this as cool as it looks from from the outside? And he was like, yeah. He was like, it's just nonstop. You know, I was covering the travel industry before, which sounds super fun and interesting, but is actually like slow. Like it's just a slow industry. You know, you get a new aircraft every now and then you get a new hotel chain every now and then, whereas tech, it's just something new every single day. So I was really keen to get into it and I haven't looked back since. So I've just been covering this space now for, for a number of years and I still love it. I still am just intrigued by the challenges people face and the stuff people build. Absolutely agree with you that growth around just new ideas, new things, new concepts is so huge. Like as someone who also shares, uh, I'll say a non-traditional tech background, you know, I had a career in political organizing before transitioning into tech. And 
I, I think that kind of passion as you come into it and you realize how much new is happening, how much excitement, how much potential there is, even as we continue to develop certain lines of technology, there's always the next thing. There's always the next opportunity. It really drives home the importance of some of the things we're doing. Even if all, all that you're doing is making one process more efficient, the reverberations of that worldwide are, are massive. And because of that, I think a lot of folks were kind of rocked when these massive layoffs took place at, you know, Google, Microsoft, Meta, all over the place, you know, Twitter, obviously, uh, not to mention scale up startups. Uh, we've seen, you know, massive amounts of software engineers get laid off because of operating expenditure concerns or, or, or other, you know, burn rate challenges people are having or a variety of other reasons, you know, whether real or imagined. And after this massive run-up of success the industry's experienced the last 15 years, it, it was a bit of a shock to the system. And you wrote a really stellar article about it, of talking about you know where all the laid-off software developers are going. Can you outline for us a bit about what the conclusions were you've drawn from your research? Yeah, and um, it was just nice for me to do some writing. I hadn't done any writing in a year uh, since I started this job. And the reason I did it is because people just kept asking me. They were saying, you know, where are all these laid off engineers going? You know, we just hear about this relentless stream of layoffs. And it wasn't obvious um, to anyone where they were landing because all we heard was that people were getting laid off from the big tech companies. There wasn't any funding going into startups. So there weren't the opportunities there that have always been there for people in technology. And so everyone was like, okay, obviously they're all going to the enterprise. But then I started talking to people and no one was going to the enterprise. So I, I just had to, you know, dust off those journalism skills and go out and try and figure it out again. So I spoke to a bunch of, we, we're really lucky to have really good partners in like talent and, and hiring over here. So I, I reached out to them to try and dig in some data and seeing what they're seeing in the data, but then also just had some, some anecdotal conversations with people who had recently been laid off to find out what their plans were and just ended up with a really, kind of nuanced picture of, of actually where people are landing because when it comes to careers like there is just no singular answer to that question where are all the laid-off engineers going i remember a conversation with a mentor from years ago where he described his career not as a path but as an ice flow where you know you are on this piece of ice and you have to make these decisions about what the next ice chunk you jump to is but there is this impact of the currents around you which might be economic climate or how's that company doing or who's the manager going to be. And, and these currents are things that you can try to project for, but you, you're not going to be able to fully control. And that's always stuck with me as, as we think about our career journeys, because I think a lot of folks think, you know, they see someone successful and they think it's a straight line because it's a lot easier for us to, and a lot more exciting for us to, to hear about these, these massive things people have done. And we ignore the pitfalls and the side projects and the odd pathways people took to get there. Even now, after trying to recognize that more. And you had a lot of great personal anecdotes from engineers in that article about how individuals experienced these really challenging layoff circumstances and the factors that heavily influenced their next career move. What kind of factors were you seeing affect the, these decisions the most? Yeah, I think the thing that surprised me the most was just how much kind of personal circumstances played into this decision. Like that seems silly to say, but like back in the day, it was really just, I'm going to keep moving up the ladder and you don't really have to think too much about this stuff. But when those decisions become a bit more fraught, because 
you know, that you might have to go down a salary level or you might have to change industry or you might have to take on a new challenge that actually requires a lot more hours from you than you were used to doing. And you've got two young kids at home. You know, these all these circumstances really play into that decision. And that was coming up time and time again with the the folks that I was talking to, because the people who were further along in their career weren't really willing to take that step back to move forward again. So, you know, I, I spoke to to one person who had worked in kind of what we would call big tech or maybe more on the scale up side, but, you know, they had a really good salary and a really good role and they just kind of knew where they stood in the organization. Whereas if they wanted to then go and go to a scale up and kind of work really long hours to try and get that company to where it is and build a team and change the culture, like at their point in life, like they just weren't up for that challenge. And that's fair. Like they were planning for retirement. They just needed to work five or six more years at the like salary they were working at just to, to kind of, you know, fulfill their plans. And so like, that was like, that was a story I heard a lot. And then there were other people that were the other side of the spectrum where they're like, right, this is an opportunity, you know, I've just left Google. I've left Facebook. I knew exactly what I did there. I was a cog in the machine. And now actually I've learned all these skills and I want to go and like bring them to bear on somewhere where I can make a real impact. I think the only thing that really kind of like hit home when I was having those conversations with people is that those opportunities now are much fewer and far between because there aren't this wealth of startups coming through because of the funding landscape, because of what's going on in the world where those opportunities are, you know, are not just kind of like swimming around. So it's, it, it is difficult for people to, to find that next step. And so I found a lot of people are kind of sitting tight and just waiting for the right opportunity, which is an absolute privilege for engineers because a lot of them have earned very well for, for a number of years and you can't do that forever, but it is a privilege to be able to kind of sit there and look for the next opportunity. It definitely speaks to the importance of pertaining some savings, having an emergency fund, because even when you know we think these boom times are going to continue, there are these risks and we don't control these broader economic conditions that affect us. It is also interesting to see what's happening in the funding landscape at, say, the seed, pre-seed, series A level versus series B, C, D onwards, because I'm happy to say we're seeing less of a slowdown, if not very minimal at like seed level where it's like very new startups are still getting funded. But the problem to your point is that they only do a small portion of the hiring compared to the folks who are scaling and getting those, you know, large series C raises. And that's where we're seeing uh, a major slowdown is those scale ups, those folks who are maybe meant to be the next unicorn or, or were considered a unicorn and now probably would have to raise a down round. Yeah. And honestly, like if you're not, kind of playing in a really sexy area right now like that funding isn't really there so like unless you are super interested in gen ai or one of these other areas that's kind of hot right now there's not those opportunities out there so it's interesting i spoke to a few engineers like who were kind of transitioning about three four years ago and they kind of landed at the exact right time and they kind of know how lucky they are because they landed in something they were really interested in at a time when they just got some fresh funding that was going to give them enough runway to get through this but like there's plenty, plenty of other horror stories on the other side of that totally. that didn't go that way. And I know there are trends that show a significant portion of laid-off engineers are actually looking at industries outside of traditional tech. So finance, healthcare, manufacturing. What do you see that meaning for these industries in terms of digital transformation and talent acquisition? Yeah, I mean, that that you know, that stuff has never gone away. And like I, I used to work at 
InfoWorld and we covered enterprise and this has been the, the you know the big story even before the layoffs is that how do they access that talent how do you compete with Google uh, that was always that would always be the bogeyman how do you compete with Google uh, where you don't have the same money well now you do like maybe now you do because you know they're they're freezing hiring and there's all this talent out in the market the only thing is like that's a really neat and simple narrative but actually when I was talking to people like it's not quite happening in the way that people and uh, the way that those organizations maybe thought they maybe thought they could just get out there and just hoover up all this talent but actually the the more conversations i had with people who were trying to do that they weren't overly enamored with the people that were available or they weren't quite sure whether it was the right thing to be doing right now to be kind of hoovering up loads of talent and making the mistake that those companies had just made but a couple of years further down the line despite the temptation. So I think it's they're in a really interesting spot. You know, they've been kind of waiting for this opportunity in, in different organizations. So, you know, I, I always think of like finance and insurance and companies that have really big, interesting challenges and plenty of money to pay engineers. But also like it's a lot tougher to work in those regulated industries. Like you have to kind of pick up a lot of those those kind of difficulties with developer experience with things being a little bit slower a little bit more red tape you know it's like as an engineer like are you willing to do that and i saw a lot of engineers blanching at that side of the job where it's like i really don't want to be hamstrung i really don't want to like constantly be banging my head against these kind of old systems when i'm used to working with the the latest and greatest tech so i think the challenge for those organizations remains kind of the same even though the circumstances have changed a lot like the talent is out there, but the the kind of sell for them is maybe slightly less about the money and less about the big challenge and more about giving them the experience that they kind of want. That's super interesting to consider because, I mean, we talk a lot about developer experience on this show. And you know, recently it's becoming more and more of a topic of conversation for engineering leaders. But I think we we don't always see such stark examples of its impact on hiring and retention. Uh, you know, we talk about it. We'll say, oh, you know, it helps you retain engineers. And I think we're seeing it here on hiring to your point of, oh, companies that have good DevX are more likely to land top engineers. So it's a great reminder of that importance. And it's interesting also because those companies are often major tech companies, you know, the Microsofts, the Apples, the Amazons, the, the Netflixes. And not only, you know, do they have the advantage of having incredible platform teams that they've invested you know, billions in that they can leverage in hiring retention and, and speed up the processes. They also have an outsized impact, uh, as you mentioned with Google, on job market dynamics. How are you seeing those major tech companies uh, impact the dynamics of this you know, job market currently for engineers? Yeah, I mean, it's caused a massive shockwave. Like it's, as I was saying, like it's put this kind of like, flood of talent on the market and i think a lot of people are struggling to work out what to do with it they're, they're trying to work out how to kind of sift through that talent and working out if you know if they're the right people for them and if they have the skills that they want to be a little bit more entrepreneurial or, or kind of be a little bit more outside of the box and i the lot of the folks i was talking to they just weren't seeing what they wanted from that talent pool so that initial excitement kind of got tempered mm. quite quickly in terms of what was available but I do, just to go back to the last point, I do think that these enterprise organizations need to rethink the way that they try and attract engineers a little bit. Like I think that a lot of it has always been based on the finances. And I think that now, because like I've, I'm seeing suppression of salaries, I think that they can pay them. But actually what they really should be focusing on is what's the cool challenge I have? 
and how are you going to be able to solve it? Like, I think that a big insurance company, like it seems really unsexy from the outside, but if they start to talk more about the fact that they have this wealth of data and they've got all these exciting ideas, like you can get engineers excited about that stuff, but I don't think they do a great job of telling those stories and really talking about what they're doing inside their engineering organization because they're so conservative about sharing stories all the time. So I think that that's really what's hamstringing them more than the finances. A lot of companies are still trying to stick with this tried and true recruitment strategy and the market has shifted, uh, the dynamics have shifted and the needs of developers and the desires of developers have certainly shifted. So are there other areas where you think companies should be adjusting their recruitment strategy as they approach this? Yeah, I think that, that like focusing on the challenges, the the differences, and the and the DevEx as well. I think are, are things that I just don't see these organizations do. But outside of that, it's you know this is the time for them to to try and do that. Like they've been waiting for this opportunity to have more talent available to them, and to miss it would be would be a real shame because the market will bounce back. Like tech isn't going anywhere. But yeah, I feel like they're kind of missing that opportunity at the moment. You mentioned earlier that the majority of laid-off candidates, or at least a large plurality, are not looking to downgrade their positions. What do you think that says about the value proposition and resilience of software engineering roles, even in challenging economic climates? They know their value. Software engineers know their value. And that, that hasn't changed. Like I was really like glad to see that that even in this market, like people weren't really willing to make that step back. Like some of them are going to have to, because like there's lots of circumstances where maybe your visa requires you to get a new job, or you might have a a financial situation where you really need to do it. And I think those people will be fine. Like they, they will get back to where they want to be. It's a shame. Like you never want to make that step back in your career, but in the, broad in like the broadest sense like most engineers know that their skills are still very in demand as you said like the demands of digital transformation have not gone anywhere the demands to deliver new technology has not gone anywhere we know that engineers who are left behind are absolutely feeling the crunch because they're getting asked to do the same amount of work with smaller teams with less colleagues and like they so they can see it they're not they're not stupid like they know that these skills are still going to be in demand so a lot of them are willing to sit tight and just wait for the market to bounce back so they can get back in there Sounds like you don't think AI is replacing developers anytime soon. I don't see it. I don't see it. I like, I just, I really do think that whenever these things come up, they have this miraculous ability to somehow like actually increase the amount of work that people end up doing because there's now like an increased like expectation. I was reading a thing in, in HBR the other day about the rise of citizen development. Uh, now that AI is there. And I was always so bearish on no code, low code. I just never saw anyone give me a good example of like a citizen developer in an organization that actually launched something that people use. And I'm sure they exist, but I just, I just never really saw it. Whereas with AI now, like I think that there is a much more opportunity for someone in your finance department to build a very quick app that solves a really annoying pain point for them. But as the piece said, like someone's got to manage that like bigger now a state of applications like i just feel like it's somehow like every one of these technologies that says it's going to save us time and make give us a four-day working week it's somehow going to give us more work to do. uh well i'm still holding out hope for the four-day work week i have to say uh that's, that sounds pretty nice sometimes i know there are other entrepreneurs and you know software engineers who are taking the opposite direction saying hey we want to double down want to work more maybe i was a staff software engineer at Meta, I'm going to go found something now. I've, to your point earlier, I have these skills I've built up. I have these connections. 
What are you seeing on that side of things where software engineers are maybe going to be co-founders or early employees at some of these smaller startups? Yeah, I was like, I was amazed actually by the numbers here, like the amount of software engineers that were kind of looking at this market and losing their jobs or leaving their jobs and deciding to go and start their own business is just a level of kind of ambition and bravery that I do not have. <laughs> like, but like, I absolutely take my hats off to them. Yeah, there was, I was working off this, this piece of analysis by Biz Report, and it said that 13 of every 100 people who recently lost their jobs had started their own companies. Wow. And like most of those, so most of those founders, uh, so nine out of every 100 startups being established was by a former software engineer. And what it like what it told me was just like this has always been the case. Like uh, big successful startups have always bred more entrepreneurs. Like you get like the classic example that I'm loath to use, but I can't think of a better one now is the PayPal mafia. But here in the UK, we have the GoCardless mafia. So GoCardless was a fintech uh, company here, but like five of the founders or people who came on pretty early all went on to found companies like Monzo, which is a really big um, challenger bank here and and other companies that you may not have heard of, but like who have been very, very successful. So I think it's always happened. I was just really surprised to see software engineers doing it now in this like situation where there isn't a lot of funding out there, but it just shows you that like there's still that kind of bullishness on new tech ideas and building a business around it. So I'm really happy to see that that's not completely gone away. I just really hope that they can find a way to get these ideas funded because that looks like a real challenge right now. It's definitely exciting. I, I'm hopeful that in the next year or two, we'll see that funding market open up a bit more for them. Out, well, outside of the AI space, which doesn't seem yeah. to be having any problems. But just uh, do what um, what what was it Sundar during the Google uh, conference? Just call it saying everything's AI. That's that's how you get your funding now. So. Yeah, just add add do it not dot AI domain. You're good to go. I am curious. Were there any other you know surprises or takeaways that you had from the research you did? Yeah, not a lot of other surprises. Like, I just think that, as you said, like the, the knowing of their value from software engineers, like that was quite quite surprising. Just how much they they could see that and weren't being kind of cowed by what was going on in the market. Like, I think a lot of people outside of tech look at it and see a bloodbath. But actually, a lot of the folks I was talking to were like, "We're not too worried. Like, we know it's going to bounce back. It looks like it's a temporary blip." And you know, a lot of these folks haven't lived through this before. Like, and we really like tech, tech rode out 2008 pretty, pretty well. Like the last one would have, that would have really felt this way would have been the dot-com bubble. And there's a lot of folks in engineering that weren't around for the dot-com bubble. So yeah, me included. Myself included um, too. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not watching uh, on YouTube, we both raised our hands just now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not to brag, but uh, not around for that. So yeah, I think that it's it's a bit new for some people, but I think anyone who who has been around for that stuff is is going to be kind of sitting there and saying, "Don't worry, son. Like this is a, this is all going to be okay." I think that's an inspiring note to kind of end that conversation on and zoom out a bit because, as we alluded to at the start of this episode, you've got great insight into what's happening in software engineering leadership and software engineering broadly. Obviously, one of the major trends that we've been dealing with is what we just talked about. These major layoffs, the impact they're having on the industry, how folks are adapting, huge concern. But there are also other major trends that we've seen this year. Can you talk a bit about what you're seeing and what you expect for the next year or two? Yeah, I think the layoffs element of this is 
a symptom of like the broader thing that we're seeing, which is just this kind of feeling of unease amongst the software engineering community that like this is the end of boom times. And like that feeling is completely warranted because as we've been talking about, like the economic situation out there is different. Like we haven't actually hit a recession, but like it it definitely feels like one. Money is not <laughs> um, as cheap as it was. No, it is not. And I think that like seeing like when I was doing the research for that piece, like the thing that really crystallized for me was just like the way that the whole market is being crunched in the middle. Like I had I'd realized that the the difficulties at the top end were happening because of over exuberance, post pandemic, over hiring. My favorite example that people don't talk about a lot is Peloton. Like Peloton was like, oh great, people are just going to use Pelotons the whole time now. So we're going to build a factory that builds Pelotons. That was a disastrously bad decision. But like that in microcosm is what happened to a lot of tech companies. Like Zoom is a big like big one where it's just like, oh, like people are just going to Zoom all the time now. And we're just going to like react to that. Whereas actually people really underestimated like how much things were going to come back to to pre-pandemic levels. So I think that I, I was kind of nascently aware of what was going on at that top end of the market and how that was going to have a, a knock-on effect. But what I wasn't kind of prepared for was the crunch on the bottom end of the funding as well, meaning that like all you were left with was this middle. And I think that that was putting people under under loads of stress. So the layoffs is a symptom of that. But actually, the broader trend that we're trying to really wrap our head around now is like, how do you navigate kind of the end of boom times, especially, as I said, for a lot of engineers that have only known that world and a lot of engineering managers that have only known like this sounds like it's reductive and i don't mean it to but basically it was just like there was a lot of problems that you could hire your way out of or you could throw more infrastructure at that you now can't do that so i think that there's like for us programming events into 2024 and thinking about our content it's really like what is the new set of challenges that this kind of brings up and how can we be as early on them as possible? Because from a lot of the conversations I'm having, like people are figuring out a lot of this stuff. But we're hoping that by kind of the middle of next year, we have started to identify folks who have been early on figuring that stuff out or have found a way and they can start to share some of those stories with our audience. And it just kind of really puts into context like how early we are in whatever this next wave is. Do you think there are particular challenges that you want to hone in on? Is it, hey, like, we used to be spending so much time on hiring and like how to hire well. And now we need to focus in on this aspect of engineering leadership or is it a multitude of things? It's going to be a multitude of things, but I think like, because at lead dev, we're very strong on like, be like human centric leadership, like servant leadership. We basically have like staked one end of the spectrum here, which I always like to think is the opposite of the Elon Musk end of the spectrum of like engineering management, which is, you know, we want people to care about their people and progression. And we want people to deliver great work and whatever you need to do to do that. So that's really where we kind of stake our claim. And those are the the stories we go out and try and find. And I think that doing that in this market, when I talk to a lot of engineering managers in our community like that is the stuff that's causing people loads of anxiety it's like how do i promote and progress people in my team when there's less opportunities for them to do that how do i kind of reward people when the pot of money is smaller how do i make those decisions when like my ceo is asking me to give them like lines of code as a metric and i have to like explain to them over and over again why that's a terrible idea but like as i was reading gurgley's uh, mm -hmm. pragmatic engineer newsletter the other day and he was like at the end of the day 
if the CEO and CFO want some metric on your engineering performance, you're either going to give it to them or they're going to get it themselves and you'd much rather give it to them. So like these are things that are definitely causing a lot of people in our community anxiety. And as I said, like no, no one that we know of yet has got it figured out, but we're hoping they do. And then we're hoping we can help, help like share those stories with people. Absolutely. That's something we think a lot about. I mean, obviously, you know, Linear B is is the other company I work for. We the DevRamp is part of what we do. And uh, so we're we're very bought in on this idea that like CEOs and CFOs, they want to measure engineering. We we are not gonna be able to stop them from doing that. So let's make sure they do it the right way. Let's look at team performance. Let's look at how can we improve team efficiency. It's not punish individuals who maybe are doing things that don't show up clearly on a Jira board or don't show up clearly in, in lines of code. And to your point about the kind of Musk-esque style, there's a lot of folks who are just like, no, I'm just going to use this metric, even though it doesn't necessarily apply well and is going to cost me people long-term because of that negative developer experience we alluded to. So it's it's frustrating for, for us, I think, to see this as an industry where we we really want to do right by our people and, and give them you know these growth opportunities you mentioned. Yeah, and I think like going back on your like point about Gen AI, because we we can't not talk about generative AI at the moment. But like it's an interesting kind of factor in this, in that it just kind of adds to the problem because you're asking engineering managers to kind of rethink how their teams can deliver what they were delivering with less people. A lot of people are going to see generative AI as an opportunity to do that, to create some efficiency, to add some resource without adding human resource. We haven't seen like that level yet, but I think that's where people are like looking at it going and thinking that they can kind of figure that stuff out. So that's another factor that like we're definitely seeing in terms of like how does generative AI change the output of your organization? How do you manage that? Like these are all definitely things that we're seeing people kind of grapple with already. And we really want to kind of get our teeth into that topic this year and and especially into next year and help people kind of navigate it because it's brand new and it's definitely, definitely going to throw up some effects that we don't foresee. Yeah, that's something we're talking about as well is how do you map the ROI of generative AI code? Actually happy to have a full conversation with you on that at some point. I think we have a some interesting ideas there and are having conversations with data partners that I'm excited to talk about more once they become more public. The other thing you alluded to there, I think, is the debate that's happening around developer productivity, right? So the recent thing that's kicked it off has been McKinsey coming out with their framework and saying, oh, this is the approach you should take. And a lot of us thinking there are some issues with that framework that could be improved, let's say. And, and to your point about Gurgling Pragmatic Engineer, he and Ken Beck did a fantastic two-part response to that. I still have nuanced critiques of them. We're actually going to have a full episode coming out before this. If you haven't listened to uh, yet, you'll want to make sure we do. Uh, we're going to be talking in depth about that that framework. But I, I think that debate isn't going away, to your point. And no. there, there's a need for us to be the ones that shape it because it's great to have us aligned to the business metrics. But if you ignore the operational metrics and the understanding of what happens in engineering... Just to say, oh, well, you know, the business cares about lines of code or the business cares about the ARR delivered by this team, but ignore, maybe that cuts the SRE team. Maybe that cuts you know, security teams. And uh, we need to make sure that we are actually the ones shaping that conversation and bringing the expertise. Uh, and I think engineering leaders who kind of just say, oh, well, I, I don't want to have these metrics. I, I want to ignore this conversation. We're not going to be able to. Uh, it's just not where the industry is going. And you know, yeah. the CEOs have this expectation of sales and marketing and CS that have these metrics that they can easily understand and have been able to do it for a while. And 
we're coming out of our nascency that we talked about earlier, where engineering leadership was this like very niche new thing. And now it's, you know, worldwide and growing and there's more and more engineers. We have to start evolving as an industry. And so let's, let's make sure we do it in a way that's healthy and improves developer experience, lets us become more efficient, supports teams instead of punishing individuals. Yeah, we've actually just closed the survey because we're doing a, a team performance report later on this year that we're really excited about that when we you know, started planning it, this wasn't the big topic of conversation in engineering management, but it suddenly has become it. And we really wanted to go out and, and find out, you know, just what were the two ends of the spectrum there in terms of like, what are the metrics that are useful? What are the ones that aren't? What are the challenges people have reporting team performance? How do you align that with business goals? We really just wanted to try and finally get a handle on it because like the more you read about it, like the less you know seemingly with this because it, it just seemingly is uh, a really, really difficult nut to crack. And I think the answer is probably that's because it's going to be individual to your organization. Has to be customizable. You, has to be. Yeah, exactly. You've got to take the tools that are available and adapt them to your organization depending on what you need. Because like as we saw in the initial results that we're going to be publishing in October at our West Coast conference, is that uh, some metrics are, clearly are important to everyone, but then there's others that are important to, to smaller groups of companies. That doesn't mean that those are the wrong metrics. It just means that they're appropriate to them. And that's uh, kind of a big lesson for us in this space that no one's really figured out yet. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of incredible data coming out uh, this fall that I think will really shape the next stage of that debate. So, you know, the next stage of the Google Dora report, which is obviously yeah. kind of the industry standard. And to your point, like it, it forms a foundation of a lot of what we do, but needs to be adapted for some organizations. Maybe they care about different metrics versus others. Uh, I'll say we're also going to be releasing uh, a full updated benchmarks report. So building on the Dora research, taking all of the data from uh, the platform teams that we work with and establishing what are the, the standards that we see across teams at the elite level, the lower end, you know, how can you think about these general benchmarks? But you have to go beyond that. Like those are just tools to kind of help you begin to understand and, and build a framework. Your organization needs to customize based off of what actually delivers value for your team and for your business. And depending on if you're using pair programming regularly or mob programming or everyone's using individual PRs and working async, there are major changes in what you need to be considering. So I, I appreciate the the care that you and your team are bringing to that conversation because I think it's really important. And that's something we talk a lot about is like making sure every organization can program and customize their approach because without that i think there's there's huge risks to applying a one-size-fits-all framework like some folks have tried to do yeah and i love that benchmarks report we just don't have the data that you guys have so yeah it's always a, a must read for me well that's very kind of you we're, we're excited to, to see what your survey has to say i think that'll be really interesting and speaking of that that's a great segue for us to talk about lead dev west coast where can folks go to learn more yeah, so leaddev.com, you've got all of the events at the top of the page there. You've got Lead Dev, which is our kind of flagship conference for engineering managers. But also we have Leading Eng, which is for your kind of director, VP, senior. It's a, it's a very different format. It's much more intimate, more roundtables. You spend a lot more time kind of getting to know the other people in the room than you do at Lead Dev, which is that more kind of theater style conference. So, you know, we've kind of got something for everyone there. And yeah, all the details are on there. And then also at the bottom of the page, you'll find um, there's a uh, contribute link where if you want to write an article for us or if you want to submit a talk for one of our other conferences or West Coast next year, you can get all the details there as well. 
highly recommend checking out that contribute link because there are some fantastic talks. I know you get what, 600 plus talks yeah. per per conference. It's amazing. Yeah. A uh, host in London, Mary Williams said that it's harder to get into lead dev than it is to get into Harvard, which uh, we uh, are dining out on. So <laughs> that is that is a great line. I, I will say you, you put together some fantastic articles. We referenced the one you wrote. Uh, we've had the pleasure of writing a couple and, the, and there are folks you know, from all over the industry. Uh, definitely recommend checking it out and, and reading more. And uh, I think we're really excited to publish one of yours in an upcoming uh, article on our Substack too. So thanks so much for this collaboration and for coming on the podcast, Scott. It's been a pleasure to talk with you as always and can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, Scott, we'll see you and hopefully some of our listeners in the Bay Area, October 16th and 17th. Come say hi to Dev Interrupted. If you do make it, we will have our giant dome where we'll be recording podcasts all day and come say hi to scott as well uh, you know we love to meet the people from the community and we'll also see you next week for another installment in our series on the journey of an engineering leader thanks so much folks hey everyone welcome to Be Already, see, <laughs> I'm, I'm over here like, I'm like thinking in my head. I'm like, welcome back, welcome in, welcome. What do I say?